Hey, Victory family, let me start off by wishing you a happy Father's Day to all of my men. Hey, I, I want to do something real quick. I want to give you permission to do three things today. Number one, cook you a massive piece of bacon and then just eat it. Don't put anything on it. Just eat the bacon. Number two, you can go to the local store and buy you a Lazy Boy. All right, giving you permission to do that. So right now you have bacon, a Lazy Boy, and then you go pick a manly movie and you sit on that lazy boy and you watch that movie and you eat that piece of bacon, right? Isn't that, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Like the manliest thing to do? Maybe not. But hey, again, on behalf of me and our church, I just want to say happy Father's Day. If you're joining us, maybe you were here last week, maybe you weren't. What we're doing right now is we're preaching through the book of Philippians. And we actually themed it last week around this idea called a family meeting. Because when I read it, what I saw was Paul gathering this church in Philippi, which was a generous church, a diverse church, and they were actually doing great. And he just called them together and said, hey, we just need to be reminded of our values. We need to be reminded of our standard. We need to be reminded of what makes us great. And he really themed that around the idea of being unified. And more than ever, what we need, especially what the church needs, is to be unified. And we took that concept of the word unified and it meaning to be whole, and we themed it illustration-wise around a puzzle and just how for all of us different pieces and how diverse we are and different we are, and to be able to all come together and like a puzzle fit together and be whole. And so when, when we brought last week to a close, we closed it with Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, and we said that Paul's going to set the framework, right? The, the boundaries, the border for the puzzle like this. Watch this. I'm going to read it again. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. And it says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. There it is. That's the framework. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So Paul does that. He sets this up, putting people, valuing people above ourselves. And that's how we closed last week, that if we're going to be unified, we have to get to the place where we value others above ourselves. And that's going to be the framework, the, the border of this unified puzzle. But where do we go from here, right? Like, like, listen, Paul's not an idiot, okay? He understands that that is not going to be easy and that you and I being so different and yet being unified can be difficult. And the reason for that is because, again, it's not, it's not naturally who we are. We don't, we don't naturally just become unified despite all of our differences. It's something we really have to work at. And, and so I started thinking about this, and what we're going to see in chapter 2 as we read it together is we're going to see a pattern or a picture that Paul lays out for now that we have the border and the framework, now here's the pattern we need to work by if you and I are going to move towards being unified. Now, if you've ever worked a puzzle before, here's the deal. When you work a puzzle, you have to kind of set up a pattern. You have to set up a picture, right? You, you put the border together, but then you get the box and you put the picture in front of you. And that's your pattern that you're now working by. And you're looking at it and you're putting pieces together. And so as we read Philippians 2, watch the picture or the pattern that Paul gives us. Okay, so we're going to pick up Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, because we read to verse 4 last week. It says, in your relationships with one another. So he's about to show us. When it comes to you and I being unified, here's what we do. You ready? 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So right off the bat, start at Christ. If you and I are going to be unified, we need to start with the mindset of Jesus. Well, what does that look like? And he describes something, watch this, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. So he's saying Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul says the first thing that you and I are going to do if we want to work towards being unified, the first thing we have to do is have the mindset of Christ. And you say, well, what is the mindset of Christ? You ready? Here's, the, here, here's one of the mindsets of Christ. Choose to lose. What does that mean? What is, explain that. Break that down for me. Jesus constantly, I'm, I'm, about, to, I'm about to get, you know, uh, uh, illustrated for you here for a minute. Jesus constantly took an L now so that he could get a W later, right? So if, if you don't really know what that means, let me break it down. That was, that was kind of my, my slang in saying this. Jesus took a loss often now so that he could get a bigger win later. Make sense? I'll take a loss now, but it's ultimately for a bigger win. I, I was reading this article the other day that said that male puppies, when they are playfully wrestling with female puppies, they will purposely lose, right? So, so, so what are they doing? They're losing now so they can win later, right? I, all, all you married people know what I'm talking about, especially men. You know what it's like to, we'll take a loss now so that we can get a win later, right? Or, or if you have kids, right? And you're doing something with your kids competitive, you will actually take an L, you will lose on purpose because ultimately you're trying to win later as a parent. So I'll, I'll give you a, a really cool example, but it kind of backfired in, in my point. So Veda, my 10-year-old, is she's getting interested in basketball and she wants to play basketball. And so I took her to the outdoor goals at our YMCA here in Smyrna. And we just, we kind of, Darla was working out, running errands, whatever it was, and, and we just kind of had an hour of basketball practice. And so I would teach her how to dribble and I teach her how to shoot and we would running around and doing all these drills. And then once we were done with that, I said, all right, let's play a little friendly game of one-on-one, -on -one, me versus you, and we'll go to 10. And I'll just be honest with you. I was taking it very easy on her because I was, I was taking an L so she could experience a W. I mean, I mean, I'm taller, I'm bigger. Obviously I could beat her at basketball. And so, you know, I, I would score every once in a while. I'd let her score a couple of times and it was going fun. I was taking the L so she could get a W and so on. And I think the score, we were going to 10. I think she had like eight points and I had like five and she started talking trash to me, church. Started a 10 year old girl started talking trash to me, telling me that I wasn't good, telling me she wasn't gonna beat me. Now, I need to tell you this this goal was about six feet tall that we were playing on, okay? So when she said that, I took it personally. And I said, okay, first of all, I didn't let her score another basket. And when I got to 10, I dunked on her. I dunked on my 10 year old just to let her know that she wasn't gonna be able to beat me. So it kind of backfired on me, but it's an illustration. It's a point that lets you know what I mean. By being able to take a loss, choose to lose now so that you ultimately can win later. Okay, this is what's happening when Paul starts speaking about the, the deity of Christ, all right? And if you don't know what that means, it means the divine nature 
of Jesus, his godliness. All right, Paul starts speaking about this in these verses so that we can understand the loss that Jesus took so that he could ultimately get a win. Here's what Paul's saying. Jesus had the highest possible position, okay? Jesus was in heaven. He, he was with God. According to scripture, he was there when him and God and the Holy Spirit started forming the earth, all right? He was in the highest position that you could possibly be in, Jesus was. And Jesus didn't lose that position. He voluntarily gave up that position for us. He, he, he took a loss, right? He went from heaven to earth. I like to say it like this. He went from God to human. He went from heaven to hay, right? Because he was born in, in, in a stable. So he went from heaven to hay. He went from the throne to the cross. These are the things Jesus chose to do. He chose to lose so that he could have a bigger win in the end, right? Jesus chooses these things. He didn't lose it. He chose to set aside his position. That's what I want to talk about for a second. I think one of our largest hurdles to being unified is that, and I'll speak for myself, it's hard for me to put aside my position, right? We, we have a hard time setting aside our pride, setting aside our position. We want to get the final word, right? We want to be right. We want people to understand where we stand. We want to make our point. We, we, we want to be the winner. We want, you know, that, that, that's kind of the things that we want. It's that prideful mindset that we have that we operate in. And we don't want to set aside that position. We don't want to lose that position. We want our voice to be heard. We want, we want to be able, again, to get the last word. We want to make our point clear. And we struggle with the humility it takes to put that position aside and take a loss now so that we can ultimately win later. I remember having a conversation one time with a friend of mine who there were some things being said on social media and he really wanted to respond. He was like, man, I, I just feel like I need to be able to say this towards that. And I, I was talking to him. I said, you don't need to do that. And he said, but if I don't speak, I feel like they're going to start to think that they won, right? If, if I don't speak up about this, then it's going to look like I lose and it looks like they win. And this is one of the largest, again, hurdles that you and I have to jump as Christians. We have to get to a point where we are willing to lose in that world so that we can ultimately win in the kingdom world, right? So, so let me just give you the clearest illustration ever. Jesus comes to earth. He is the son of God. When, when he was on the cross, the Bible says he could have called, I think it was 10,000 angels to come and take him off of the cross. Like he could have, at any point when people were beating him, when they were putting the crown of thorns on him, when they were spitting at him and calling in names, at any point he could have used his position, right? He could have said, wait a minute, do you know who I am? And could have just changed everything. But Jesus chose to take an L then so that ultimately the kingdom of God gets a W. Imagine Jesus on the cross. Uh, imagine everybody around him, all the soldiers saying, I told you so. I told you what he was saying was a lie. I told you he's not the son of God. Can you imagine that, that that time frame must have felt like forever for Jesus? Because he knows inside of him, he wants to say, I'll show you. I'll show you that I'm right. right? I'll show you that I'm the son of God. But Jesus patiently took the loss. He chose to lose so that in the end, he wins. And I think if you and I are ever going to really be able to get to a place where we can be unified in mind and spirit and we can be one, we have to be okay with losing now so that we can ultimately win big later.
Paul actually goes on to give an example of that as he reads on through verse 9. So he says, after he gives the, the example of Jesus choosing to lose and dying on a cross, he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. So as a result of Jesus choosing to lose, God exalts him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Do, do you think Jesus is, is petty enough that he's bringing up what it was like when people were spitting at him, you know, thousands of years ago. Do you, do you, th do you think there was this moment where Jesus is like, man, I just wish I would have got the final word then. No, because he got the final word now, right? Now he has the name above every name, right? Now, now people must bow at his name. He got the W now. When you and I choose to put others above ourselves, watch this, are you ready? When you and I choose to put others above ourselves, we put ourselves in a position where God now speaks for us. Come on, you got to hear that. We always want to speak for ourselves, right? I got to get the last word. I got to stand my position. But when we allow others to be glorified above ourselves, right? When we allow others to, to, to be valued above ourselves, then God ultimately speaks for us. So I have a five-year-old and a 10-year-old and they fight a lot. And one of the things that I've been trying to teach them recently is when you have a disagreement, don't try to settle it amongst yourself. Right? I try to tell Veda all the time, she's 10, Casey raised five. So don't get in an argument with your sister. If your sister does something to you, watch this. I know, I know you feel attacked and I know you want to get, you want to, you want to state your, your stance and you want, you want to, you know, you want to speak back to her and you, you want to have the last word, but don't do that because you're just arguing with a five-year-old, right? So here's what I tell her, come get me or your mom, tell us what happens and now let us go speak into it. Why? Because my voice has more authority with my children and my voice has more weight, right? So instead of arguing with the five-year-old Veda, come get me. And when I speak, things change because my voice has more authority. When you and I choose to lose, we allow the spirit of God to speak for us. We allow God's voice that carries more authority and more weight to be the voice that's speaking up for us. So when there's a pride in us, watch this, listen to me. When there's a pride in us that says, I don't want to give up that position. I know I'm right. I don't, I don't you know, I want to get the last word. Look, if we will humble ourselves and value others above us, then the spirit of God speaks, the voice of God, the real truth is spoken. And though it may feel like we're losing now, we ultimately win in the end. I like to say it like this. If I exalt myself, God will humble me. But if I humble myself, God will exalt me. And so the first step for you and I, the first process and plan for you and I to be able to be unified as one is we have to be humble enough to choose to lose. The second thing that Paul tells us is to keep working at it. So, so number one is choose to lose. Number two is keep working at it. So let's, let's pick up and let's start read, reading at verse 12. So second Philippians verse 12 says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So Paul is saying, man, you're doing great. You're obeying not only when I'm there, but when I'm not there. Continue to work out your salvation. We're going to come back to this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul saying, hey, keep working at it. Okay. A lot of people will take these verses, especially the working out your salvation. And they'll try to use that in the idea that, that it's by works that we are saved. But if Paul was saying that, it would go against everything else that Paul said. What Paul is saying is this. You ready? While God is working in you, you keep working at it. All right? So, so while God is working in you, you're saved. But while God is sanctifying you, you keep working at yourself as a Christian. All right? When, whenever my mother-in-law uh, is, is putting together a puzzle, I'll never forget this. I'll, every time I walk, what are you doing? She'll say, I'm working a puzzle. I've never heard her say, I'm putting together a puzzle. I've never heard her say, I'm doing a puzzle. She says, I'm working a puzzle. And the reason she says that is because a puzzle is a lot of work. All right. So, so once you get the border together and once you have the plan and the picture in place, then the actual work begins. All right. Once you have, again, when it comes to us being unified, once we understand that we want to value others above ourselves, and then we look at the plan Paul gives us, now the work starts, right? So, so again, if you're working a puzzle, you'll take a piece and, you know, you'll, you'll look around and you'll try to put it in and put it in a certain place. And, and then, you know, you might try to put it together with a piece and you have to try it this way and you have to try it that way. And you're, you're, you're working it out, right? I actually know some people, they'll go away for a couple of days, right? Not even look at the puzzle and then come back a few days later and start working it again. It's just, it makes sense. We are working the puzzle, in the same way, what Paul is saying when it comes to us and our Christian faith, when it comes to us walking out, uh, being unified in one and unified in spirit, it takes work. Can I set you free for a second? When it comes to you living your life as a Christ follower, you are going to have to work at it. Okay, you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to fail. You're going to have to make mistakes. You're going to have to grow. You're going to have to take two steps forward and one step back. Like it's going to happen. And, and I mean, it's the Bible that says in Romans, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that's saying is, hey, while you're working this thing out, while you're learning how to be a Christ follower, while you're learning, oh, you can't do that anymore. Oh, I shouldn't do this anymore. Don't feel condemned. It's not condemnation, it's conviction, right? It's you learning and growing and being better. Shout it with me. Say, girl, you better work it, right? You better work it. Say, oh, you can't say guy. I guess you can't say guy, you better work it. But but you better work it. Shout, work it. Work it out. Like, it's it, this is my relationship with Jesus. I got to work it out. Okay, let, let me give you an illustration. When Darla and I have our first kid, Veda Bell, I've never been a father up to that point right? Never been a father. I've never babysit a child. I've never changed a diaper. I, I've honestly never paid any attention to a young child before in my entire life. I didn't even like kids, okay? Just true. I was a children's pastor and didn't like kids. But but we, we have a child, and now I have to be a father, right? Child's born. Now I have to be a father. How foolish would it have been for Darla to be mad at me for not being this incredible dad 
a few months into having Veda. I'm learning, right? I'm working. She understood she had to give me some grace to work it out. And then all of a sudden we think that we're going to accept Jesus Christ and be this incredible Christian. It doesn't make sense to me. Like this is new to us. Faith is new. Christianity is new. Living for Christ is new. The, the, the biblical standards and paths that he gives us are new. And so there has to be some grace for us as we are working out our Christian walk. I'll hear people say all the time, like, I can't believe they said that they're a Christian, but they're still human, right? Like, like I, say it like this. We need the truth to change, but we also need the grace while we're changing, right? That's why Jesus was both grace and truth, because he understood that it was the truth that changes you. It's the truth that changes me, but we need the grace while we are changing. And I just think we have to realize that Paul's saying, hey, listen, keep working at it. You're doing great, but keep working at it. I've talked with this to, to our church all the time. When your kid's learning how to walk or your kid's learning how to ride a bike and they fall or they fall off, you don't go, oh, you're kidding me? You're an idiot. You don't say that. You, you, you celebrate how far they've come and you tell them, keep doing it. Keep working at it. With us as Christians, these are some of our hardest times. And I just want to tell you, hey, keep working at it, right? Keep growing. Keep asking questions. Keep learning. Keep looking to the Bible to say, how am I supposed to act right now? What should I be? How can I be better? Keep working at it, Paul says. Listen, now is not the time for us to say, can we just hurry up and get past this, right? When we're dealing with a, with, a, with a pandemic that deals with health and, and then you've got this revelation of racism and you've got all of these you know, uh, moments that we're trying to, to, to balance and juggle through and walk through and talk through. And I'll hear people say, I just wish it would get over. I just wish we could get over this. I just, I just wish we could move past this. That is not what we need to be doing right now. The goal for us is not to just, hey, can we just hurry up and get by? No, let's lean in and learn from it. Let's grow as Christians. What can I learn as a Christ follower from the pandemic of COVID-19? I shared this before. One of my, one of my I can't say proudest moments because I don't want it to sound like it's a prideful thing for me. But one of the things that I was most excited about when the COVID-19 hit early in it, when, when we were all panicking and, and we weren't really sure what was going to happen financially across the board, I would go in the morning and pray. And I remember telling God, I'm really glad that this isn't the first time you're hearing from me. Right. I'm glad that I, that for six years I've had a routine of praying to you every morning when things are going great and when things are going bad. So I'm glad this isn't the first time. You know, something we can learn as Christians is that if COVID-19 was the first time we actually started praying consistently, that's a that's a learning moment for us. That's a growing moment to go, OK, I can be better. I should have a consistent prayer time. Right. This racial injustice. If your eyes are being open right now and you're saying, wow, I never knew that before. This is a growing moment for us. It's a growing moment for every Christian. We can't push past these past couple of months and we can't be. I just wish this would. Well, I wish it would go back to normal. There is no more normal. These are great learning moments for us. We as Christians have got to get to a point where we're not embarrassed and we're not ashamed and we're not scared to say, I'm learning. I, I haven't arrived yet. Paul said it. I haven't arrived, but I'm also not looking backwards. I'm moving towards the goal. God, teach me something. While you're working in me, let me work on me. Let me learn. Let me grow. Let me get better. 
Don't judge me for who I am. Let me get, teach me somebody. Come on, Christians. Let's work on it. Let's get better. Amen. I don't know, but I mean, it's good for me. I hope it's good for you. We, I just want to grow. Church, I want to be better. I want to be a better Christian and a better Christ follower. And I, sometimes I have to have my eyes open and sometimes I have to be corrected so that I can be better, right? So then Paul gives us a couple of examples in this when it comes to growing. You know, first thing he says is you need to do it with fear. And I think when we hear that, people go, we're supposed to be scared of God. It's not like, boo, fear. Like, we're not supposed to be scared of God. But fear is honor and respect. Like, I understand the power and the authority of God. So again, it's not a fear. I'm not scared of him. But, but at the same time, I honor. We all know if, if maybe you had a situation with your dad where you weren't scared of him, but you honored him, right? I've told our church stories before. When I was in trouble, my mom would say, I'm going to call your dad. And I would immediately shift. And again, it wasn't a fear that he was going to hurt me, but it was an honor and a respect there. And then it says with trembling. So number one, with fear, with honor and respect. This is how I, when it comes to how I work on my relationship with God, it's with putting God in a place of honor, right? And then it's with trembling. And trembling is understanding the value of what you're being called to do as a Christian. Trembling, again, is like, I understand the value of what I'm doing. I understand if somebody was to give you something of great value and say, hang on to it, and you might tremble because you don't want to drop it. I understand the value of what I possess in being a Christ follower and carrying the message of God. I, I one time got the opportunity to meet one of, the, one of my sports idols, Penny Hardaway, and he was at a, a golfing a thing it was called a pro-am where they would team up pro golfers and amateur golfers and he's there golfing and i see him and and he's he's probably i don't know 100 and something yards away and i had my orlando magic hardaway jersey i wanted him to sign it and i called out his name i didn't think he was actually going to pay attention so i just said penny and he looked at me and he makes a, a, a pivot and starts coming towards me. And I, the whole time he's coming, the, my friend that was in me, like, he said, you were just shaking. I was just, I was literally, as he's signing the jersey, I'm just like trembling like a little girl. I was just so, so and it, it wasn't, again, I, don't, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't scared. It was just such a cool moment for me, right? I valued that moment of being in the presence of Penny Hardaway. And there was a lot of value. And again, us as Christians, there's a lot of value. Is it possible that we devalue the privilege it is to be a, an example and a Christ follower in our world today? Do we still tremble at the idea of the responsibility that we have of being Christians? Have we lost our awe and our respect for God? Have we lost the value and the level of what it is that we're possessing and what it is that we're carrying? Paul says, don't do that. Paul says, as you are working on your relationship as a Christian, keep God in that level of awe and respect and keep the, the, the authenticity and the value of what you're doing at a level where you still tremble when you possess it. It's powerful stuff. And then he says, so you do it with fear and trembling and do it without arguing or complaining. Here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, realize that we all have one enemy. If, if we're going to be unified, we have to realize we have one enemy. You are not my enemy, and I'm not your enemy. But when we argue and complain, we make each other our enemy. And, and the, one of the best ways to become disunified is for us to all choose different enemies. But there's only one enemy that comes to still kill and destroy, Right? And so when we unify ourselves and we don't argue and we don't complain, then we make ourselves focused on one enemy. 
And that's where we begin to become unified. So I just think it's powerful, again, that we have to work on ourselves as Christians and we do it with honor and respect and value of what we're doing and the gospel that we're carrying. And at the same time, we are not making enemies out of each other, but we are focused on the same enemy. Listen to me. If you allow God to keep working in you and you keep working on you, then spiritual growth and maturity is evident and it's inevitable. The third thing that Paul says when he finishes up chapter two is to make every effort. So number one, choose to lose. Number two, keep working on it. And then number three, make every effort. So let's start reading at verse 19 and we'll read through all of the rest of Philippians 2. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Timothy was kind of his mentoree that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Timothy is going to go and minister and then bring news back. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. In other words, Timothy loves you the way I love you. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So he's like, I'm going to send you Timothy. Timothy means the world to me, but I, I can't come right now. So I'm going to send you Timothy and hopefully I'll come as well. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Okay. Now Epaphroditus, you're about to see who he is. My brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So they sent Epaphroditus to Paul. And then you're about to read what's happened. And then Paul's saying, I need to send him back to you. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. He has anxiety. He's so worried about this church. He says, I need to send Epaphroditus to you so that you'll have him and you'll feel better and I'll feel better. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Paul is talking about, he's got Timothy and he's got Epaphroditus. These are like, you know, that, that's the, the greatest resource that he's had. He's in prison and he's had Timothy and Epaphroditus as encouragers and helping him. And he's now sending them back to the church uh, in Philippi. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to make every effort I can, every effort to encourage you, every effort to help you be unified. Even, even the last two resources I have, I'm going to send your way because I'm going to make every effort effort. He actually said to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians, uh, I think it was chapter 4, verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of spirit. Make every, this was something Paul constantly said, make every, choose to lose, value others above yourself, keep working at yourself while God is working in you. Make every effort you can to be unified. And listen, I'll show you this in a minute, but everything that Paul said was an echo of what Jesus was saying. But before I get to that, uh, let me give you this, this illustration for this. Have you ever been putting a puzzle together, right? And you're working it and you're, you're putting it together and there's nothing more enjoyable than seeing a complete puzzle, but you're putting the, the puzzle together and then all of a sudden you realize 
you're missing a piece. It's a disaster, right? It's like, what? Because it's not like you can just be like, well, technically I finished it. No, you want to see it totally whole and together. You want it to be unified. And so you freak out, right? And you're, you're doing your every effort. You're looking, you're flipping over tables. Like you're doing everything you can to find that last piece. You're making every effort because it's not whole. Paul is saying make every effort to be able to work it out until it is whole. We, we can't be satisfied. Well, we got all the other pieces, but that one, no, until it's whole, make every effort. Come on, church, make every effort. He's echoing Jesus. If you want to know where, turn to Luke chapter 15, and there's going to be three parables there where Jesus literally illustrates the importance of making every effort until the last piece is found. He talks about the lost sheep and how that he has a hundred sheep and one goes astray and he will, even though the 99 are protected and safe, he will put them aside and he will make every effort to find that one sheep because until he finds that one sheep, they are not unified. They are not whole. He talks about a, a woman who lost a coin and she flips over every couch and looks under every door and everything until she finds that coin. She makes every effort. And then he ends it with the story of the prodigal son and a father has two kids and one, one son runs away and one son stays and, and he makes every effort to find that son. And then when that son returns, he makes every effort to celebrate his return because now the family is whole. Church, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. If last week our underlining point was that you and I were going to value others above ourselves, right? We say we cannot be unified until my voice is no longer more valuable than your voice or, or my well-being is no longer valuable than, than your well-being. That was last week's underlining point. Here's this week's. We must make every effort, every effort until every lost person is found until every hurting person is healed, until every person that's not heard is heard, until every disenfranchised person is brought back into the family, until we are unified, until we are whole, make every effort. If there was something I was gonna design, if I, if I wanted to give you an illustration of my heart for you, for our community, for this world right now as your pastor, in the same heart, if you said, Pastor, how can we have your heart? Ready? That I want you to treat it like you're putting a puzzle together and you can't find the last piece. And the last piece is that person that doesn't know Jesus. The last piece is that person who's experiencing injustice. The last piece is that person who's addicted and can't get delivered. The last piece is that person who's hurting. The last piece is that person who's confused, who's disenfranchised, who needs help. That, that last piece needs Jesus. And you and I have to make every effort. We flip over every table. We open every door. We will take every L so that we can get a W later. We will continue to work on us and ask God to work in us. We will value every person above ourselves. We will focus on every interest. We will flip over every table and make every effort until they are found, until they are heard, until they are healed, until they are delivered, until the kingdom of God changes their life. And can, can we make this the mission of Victory Church? That you and I make 
every effort to find the lost piece, the hurting piece, the disenfranchised piece, and allow the Spirit of God to make us whole. Can we pray today? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what Paul was telling the church in this particular time. He was saying, hey, you're doing great. I love you. I miss you. But continue. Let, hey, come together. Let's continue to make every effort. We're, we're found. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We have an inheritance and an eternity waiting on us. But until that time comes, Father, help us make every effort for every hurting person, for every lost person. Let us put ourselves aside, our position aside. Let us choose to be second so that somebody else can be first. Let us make every effort for every person to be found, to be healed, to be delivered, to be set free. Father, that's what we're here for. Give us that ability. Let us see it the way you saw it with the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the prodigal son. Give us the same mind as Christ Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.